Hi, everybody. I guess this is the uh, last panel before lunch. So uh, if you want to get fed, guys, you better be pretty good, right? So um, we're just going to start with some sort of broad statements. Play true or false for a few minutes, okay? So, John Frederickson has lost his mind <laughs> spending $2 billion buying all these VLCCs. True or false? <laughs> Froda! Is it on? False. And? I mean, it's a great opportunity to pick up ships. I mean, it's a very illiquid market. You can't hand get, you can't order 24 new ships, right? So, yeah. I'm more surprised that he, he's not issuing equity, just like raising debt, two billion of debt. That's aggressive, and that's good. You know, they have the balance sheet to do it, so it should be good for Frontline. I like it. Ah, okay, that's a great idea for a question. Should, no, Frontline should raise equity. True or false? True. Please. Hey, they lay out a compelling case, but the, you know, the bottom line is, right now, if you look at a historical basis, asset prices are elevated, and... Yes, the outlook, you know, everyone in this room knows about the supply side. The supply side looks very compelling for the next two to three years. Um, that being said, there continues to be some clouds around, which are, you know, if you look at where VLCC rates are currently, they're, it's seasonally weak, yeah, that's fine. Yes, what happened over the weekend is a tragedy, and it looks like it's actually helping rates a little bit. Um, but beyond that, we're kind of in this holding, holding pattern where we're waiting for OPEC nations to come back and produce more oil. So I would agree that I think the transaction was good. I just think it would have been better if it was de-risked with, you know, $500 million of equity. So I guess my answer is false or true. Uh, uh -huh. I, think they had, I think it was false. So I can't remember exactly the question. But do they need to, or should should they have issued equity? Uh, I don't think they have to, right? They, uh, yeah, I think we just got used to Frontline being so under-levered, right, where the past 20 years they've always been 50, 60, 70% levered, and now they're in the 30s, and, you know, they got plenty of flexibility, but the company's in great shape, and they've obviously are, are backed by uh, Mr. Fredrickson himself. So now their LTV post-transactions, probably in the mid to high 50s, uh, that's not a bad place to be. Obviously, asset values have risen quite a bit off the bottom, but their leverage ratio isn't, uh, isn't aggressive. Okay. Well, we'll carry on further. We'll go deeper on this one. Frontline really now should go for it and consolidate the rest and buy DHT. True or false? Uh, true. True. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a good point. Now they're trading 1.3 times NAV. They have the currency. That's, so at some point, they will probably raise equity to buy, probably. Uh, 
more of the year now, please, right? Uh, depends on the cash call that CMB gets. Um, maybe they want to sell some more ships down next year. If all, if everybody tenders for the share and get the cash, uh, there will be probably some more ships for sale. Then they can buy buy more. Okay, we'll come back to that one then. Dry cargo. We're just starting yet another hope trade that's destined to fail. True or false? False. I think destined is a strong word. I think uh, sitting at the panel here last year, we had the hope trade, and it, it played out for several months into the start of the year uh, with hope of China reopening, et cetera. But I think where I as an analyst got it wrong, and perhaps my peers as well, was taking into account the unwinding of congestion that was still ongoing, which put effective supply back into the market. I think we've kind of unwound as much as we're going to. It's at the lower end right now in terms of where port congestion is at. So I think from here, you'll see incremental demand upside. The supply picture is still very strong. So I don't think it's destined to fail. Uh, but there is still a lot of uncertainty with regards to demand. Robert, just to jump on that, the supply situation is great over the next several years. You don't need a lot of jump in dry bulk commodity demand to make the leverage work. Balance sheets are in great shape. They can generate cash, and they've been all doing very shareholder-friendly capital allocation program. And I think it's encouraging, actually, where CAPES are, right at 30000 a day. No one was expecting that, uh, or not many people were. Uh, I think it just shows that the market is, uh, as names may be mentioning, it's just like a little nudge here or there. You can get some real rates. We were nervous or kind of wondering, you know, we're going to be going into the peak part of the year, which is where we're at right now and wondering, okay, will CAPES be able to inch higher? Can they go from 10 to 15, 15, maybe 20 at, at best? But they've been flying through here, and it all happened, or I'd say the biggest, the biggest move happened last week when the, uh, the Chinese buyers were, were away on vacation. Please. Yeah, I agree. I think um, dry bulk, everybody's so bearish on China. The good thing with dry bulk is that um, at the moment, it's all about restocking inventories, uh, and that's what's happening. And as he mentioned, uh, port congestion is the lowest in five years. So just by having a normalization in port queues and some restocking, that's enough to bring rates up. So you don't have to believe in China running at full tilt to buy dry bulk. It's crazy to buy any shipping stock when its market is at record highs. In reference to LPG, is it crazy? Man, uh, no, uh, false, it's, I mean, it's, I guess, yeah, yeah. I'm talking before I have a thought. Uh, when, when we look at, when we look at 150,000 a day VLGC rates, and then we look at the stock prices, I mean, if you look at, say, a, a Dorian or an Avance or a VW, you, you mark to market what these companies are earning, it's some outlandish number that's equivalent to maybe 80% of, of the stock price in one year at, at today's spot rates. If you put in the one-year time charter, it's closer to maybe 45 or 50%. So even the one year, if you were to de-risk the story, you're, you're making a big killing. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's great to be buying the uh, LPG stocks here. 
I don't think it's crazy, but it's probably not a good thing. Right? It's uh, easy to make the case that it's de-risked quickly, but uh, everybody knows that it's cyclical. So you shouldn't really be buying at the peak of the cycle. We don't know how long this lasts, but it's just like buying dry bulk when the rates were at 200,000 in 2008. It was not a good idea. Even if you, the same story, it could have been delivered or de-risked quickly. So I don't think it's a good idea. Christmas will come early this year for product tanker companies. True or false? True. I mean, I mean, I feel it, you would almost argue it already has happened, whether it's new refineries coming online, whether it's demand being where it is, um, whether it's, you know, Scorpio tankers buying back stock. Um, Christmas is coming. Christmas is here. And, you know, I, I think that the, the, the debate is, you know, what maybe what other companies are going to do with their cash that they're generating, but it seems like they're all doing the right things on, on the product side. It seems like they're trying to buy back stock and, and pay dividends. And we think that's obviously a recipe for success. Uh, Robert, that's also true, uh, following on on Greg's. Um, NABs are going to be coming up as you buy back shares and reduce uh, leverage. You're coming into a seasonally uh, stronger quarter where cash flows will accelerate. There's a lot of underlying value creation you can do, unless you buy new vessels, but that's another discussion. Yeah, maybe just to piggyback off of that, uh, yeah, it is definitely here, as Greg, you mentioned, and you highlighted a handful of things, but also the fact that rates are there, right? R rates are, at the moment, where, what you would be earning in winter, and that you're getting that right now in a seasonally, perhaps, trough period. And so I can only imagine just where product tanker rates would be if you didn't have OPEC cuts in place, um, and we were maybe in December instead of where we are today. There are no other shipping sectors than what we've already discussed that is really interesting now for a, from an investor perspective, true or false? I'll step out and let me say false. Um, you've got an overwhelming under uh, um, negative sentiment on the container space. Uh, you can pick and choose your spots there. There are some smaller uh, operators of smaller vessels where the order book, even though overall is, is inflated, it's not as high. You've got some older vessels there. So if you're selective and you can pick and choose a container space, which effectively now has been left for dead, you've got some interesting stories there. Anything else? Well, you have LNG, which is interesting. Um, I think it will be an interesting play for next year. You, it's, well, up, up until today, it's been very short haul shipments from the US Gulf to Europe. Next year, it will probably switch and head for long haul to Asia. So you have a ton mile story that will you know, balance out the order book that, com that comes for delivery. So I think it's an interesting play. Any particular picks that you like? Cool company. Yeah. Well, I think if you, if you compare it to Flex, Flex LNG has been doing everything correctly and is priced at, uh, at fair. You know, trading a little above NAV, uh, you know, 10 times P. Fle uh, cool company on the hand is 60% of NAV and six times P. I think that's a big, too big a gap. So it's a good okay. pick. 
Jumping back to container space, Robert, GSL is trading at 3.2 times 23 EBITDA with a higher EBITDA on 24. Stock's yielding 8.5%. Nobody, I mean, and in a sector that nobody loves. Okay. Yeah, and, and then another name probably worth taking a look at is a company called SFL. Um, you know, to Liam's point, they have some container ship exposure, but also um, car carriers, which if you think about you know, the evolution of the auto trade seems like that's going to be well positioned and, and probably more importantly, and we probably haven't talked about drilling, offshore drilling at, the, at this conference for a handful of years, but they also have some exposure in the offshore drilling market, which is absolutely white hot. So that's probably a name that pays an attractive yield and probably is a way for some investors out there looking to make some money. I'll just throw one out there, an often overlooked market, the FSRU floating storage regas units. And uh, we're looking at Accelerate Energy, which is trading at uh, the lowest price it has since its IPO. And they're going to be doing some very long-term types of terminal projects in Southeast Asia that I think are underappreciated. Okay, now we're on to some stock picks. So what I'd like to do is you've got to think about three picks, okay? I'm just going to go down the line one at a time, just do one, and then we'll come back two and then back again for three. Um, you know, if it's a repetition, just save the repetition for later, right? So, Greg, we'll start with you. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think we already alluded to, to the name. Um, you know, we, we like Scorpio Tankers. We put it, we've been talking about the fact that you're seeing refineries develop in places like the Middle East and Africa, and we think that's really going to drive the product tanker trade, and there's multiple ways to play it, but, you know, that, that's a name that we have a buy on and we think is interesting right now. I agree. So I think what you should do is to give a roadmap to how, how you can pay more dividends. That's the feedback I get. Like, uh, Scorpio tanker is so cheap. Um, and you, you, know, you have clear priorities, pay down debt, buy back stock. But if you come out with some type of roadmap like BW and Hafner did, like at some leverage le levels we'll pay more in cash payments, Th that would trigger the stock up. You have a, well, what you said as well. I agree. Uh, we have a buy on Scorpio tankers as well. And going back to Robert's Christmas analogy, I think uh, Scorpio has been a very good boy this year. And uh, Santa Claus should come and, and reward that. Uh, this one's a bit different, but I think... Uh, oh, we can stop there and change the subject then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sting. Uh, I think Euronav is interesting, right? It bucks the trend. I know the stock's gotten several downgrades uh, recently. And, uh, you know, they're basically... You know, the perception is that they're, tra they're, they're, they're taking value away from themselves and giving it to Fredrickson. Uh, but... The company is, we, we've been grappling with this story for the past you know, year and a half, and what, is it, what does this company look like after this exit from the tanker market? They still have a significant amount of exposure, which they may, as you said, Froda, wind that down further to Fredrickson, but they, they're, they're flush with cash right now, or post-deal they will be. They're going to have a massive amount of capital. They're going to be net cash, and the, obviously the future is uncertain, but it wouldn't surprise me if they paid out a special dividend after they... Uh, after Fredrickson leaves. And a big special dividend could revalue the story, and they would still have plenty of capital to reinvest and go into the green landscape that they want to go to. 
But I think the story's not over with Euronav. I think there's still plenty of, uh, of optionality there. Robert, do I get two because I'm going to send it back that way? Yeah, so you Good. can get two. Because I do like the, I like the dry bulk of space. If you look at the valuations here, EB to EBITDA are higher, indicating a cyclical low, indicating also that you're going to look at a lift of earnings. In either case, I like Eagle. Uh, or if you want to look for more upside leverage with Cape Size Exposure, Genco. But either of those plays in dry bulk are two that we like. Um, the Naus is interesting. I think, Liam, you were mentioning the, the you know, GSL. I think the Naus is interesting as a, as a container ship company. It's got a revenue backlog or an EBITDA off of that backlog that's uh, above its enterprise value. And so you've got plenty of, uh, of protection plus the scrap value of the fleet. So it's a, it's a great value story. Just may take some time to uh, to unlock. You, you, you three, you may repeat your recommendation if you wish. <laughs> totally up to you, Chris. Uh, going back to dry bulk, we continue to like star bulk. As, I think as the uh, scrubber premiums widen out here, as oil prices are high, we like the uh, contribution and uplift from the scrubber premiums. Uh, the balance sheet remains pretty strong there, and. Uh, you know, we're waiting to see when dry bulk demand picks up, but in the meantime, you get paid a dividend, so. I would say that uh, people holding Euronav should take the cash and buy international seaways instead, or frontline. It's uh, more upside than that, so. Well, international seaways trades with 80% uh, of NEV, while you can cash out that NEV for your enough. So that seems like an obvious trade to me. Yeah, and then um, just since I, it seems like this was a, a dry bulk uh, line, um, I, I would tell people to take a look at uh, Golden Ocean. Um, you know, I guess there's two things there. One is, you know, the Fredrickson Group spent the last two years looking at Euronav. Um, it seems like they got what they wanted from them. You, you wonder if there can be more of a focus on how the company wants to position Golden Ocean in the future. And more importantly, like Omar mentioned, Cape rates are $30,000 a day. So when, uh, you know, and they're a levered play on Capes, and, you know, we know what we know about uh, that group is when rates are good, they pay out a lot of dividends. So that would be probably a good way to look at dry bulk if, if you were interested. Uh, that's a good idea. Uh, I think people could alternatively pick up Starbulk if you're US focused. So it's the same same valuation basically as Gold Motion. It's uh, better liquidity. Um, so one of the feedback we get is that uh, you can't really trade dry bulk on seasonality because it, there's too illiquid the stocks. Um, like. Tankers you can do, right? If you're bullish on VLCC rates or MR rates, you can just hop on and trade it and then get out. But uh, that's an issue for dry bulk. Starbuck is the biggest market caps, and you can actually trade it. Um, typically trade it 20 to 30 million worth of shares each day. So 80% or 85% of NEV. Mm -hmm. So it's a good idea. Last pick for us, uh, International Seaways. If you're bullish on VLCC rates and you're bullish on product tankers, then Seaways is a great way to hedge both those markets. And the stock continues to trade at a significant discount to NAV compared to peers, so there should be some price upside appreciation there. And I guess I'll kind of round trip back to, to Dorian. Uh, LPG, 
cash machine generating tons of money in today's market, and it's completely recapitalizing their, uh, their balance sheet. And I want to close with International Seaways again with Chris and Froda. I just want to add the fact we like their uh, shareholder-friendly capital allocation plan with a variable dividend buyback. Also, they've been aggressively delevering. Great. Yeah, and then just, I guess, my final, just sticking with what, what I mentioned earlier on, on the offshore theme. It, it's a different kind of shipping, but there's a company called Tidewater, um, and they basically run anything to support the offshore energy space. Um, you know, they do a little bit in the renewables offshore wind, but they're an offshore shipping service company. Um, that's a name that we think is poised to do well. Just, you know, when you, when you think about demand for oil, which is going to help clearly help the tanker market, it, it's also going to help these companies that help get that oil out of the ground. So now just a more general one, sort of help us all out out here. What are you thinking? What are investors most worried about in shipping at the moment? Uh, sorry. What's, what, what's hold, hold someone back? I think a lot of discussions I've been having or our, my team's been having has been on, on tankers and trying to make sense of when can we expect the crude side of things to, to pick up. Uh, that's been a big topic of conversation. I think in July the stocks really started to gain traction as there was light at the end of the tunnel with refining margins moving higher. Uh, oil prices were on an uptick. And so there was a light at the end of the tunnel of, okay, the Saudis are going to bring back production maybe by year end. And now that's been pushed out. And with the price of, of Brent coming under pressure the past week, now people are grappling with, okay, we know that it's not, the, the production's not coming at the earliest January, but most likely it's some, sometime past the first quarter. Now is it in the second half of 24 or is it mid-year? I think that's the biggest, the biggest question and biggest worry. China has a, uh, is a major theme across the board in terms of uh, where they're going, what their growth rates are, and uh, how much uh, stimulus is going to be put into the system. And you balance that with the real estate uh, fiascos that are going on there. China is always on everybody's mind, no matter what sector you're looking at. Yeah, and I think there's expectations. Um, I think that's one of the headwinds where, you know, when you talk to some investors, they, they want to think about, you know, beating and raising is what it's called when you, you know, you hit your earnings estimates and then there's the up potential for upward earnings revisions. And, you know, as you look at the crude tanker market next year, I mean, Wall Street is, and, and, the, the, and Norway are expecting healthy tanker rates across the board next year. And so I think that's one of the questions that a lot of investors have. Um, and, you know, I mean, hey, everybody in this room knows, knows about NAV. Typically, you want to buy these stocks when they're at a discount to NAV. Now, you can own them when they're above NAV, but you better have a very strong view on continuing above average day rates. Um, and so that's kind of one of the things that's kind of where investors are worried. And then there's this been this macro, you know, there was going to be a recession. Well, it's not this year. Maybe it's next year. Maybe it's the year after. You know, a, a recessionary environment, you know, can pull the rug right out from under a fabulous year for tanker rates. And so I think that's one of the things that most investors are worried, at least to us, around why they should be buying tanker stocks today. I agree with that. The macro concerns seems to be Everybody's optimistic about tankers or like the fundamentals doing the works, but they're put back by you know, concerns of the macro. And that's why the stocks are still cheap, I think. So, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I agree with all the other panelists here. Um, and in terms of the tanker market, I think our clients are now transitioning away from looking at further asset price appreciation and really just focusing in on dividend yields. So they, they want to become comfortable around the macro environment, make sure rates hold up, and to really have a more sustainable dividend over the next several quarters. So it, is it too much pessimism out there? I mean, it's kind of interesting that the stock markets are up yesterday and, you know, up today, up today big. Not sure that most would have expected that over the weekend with the weekend news. Well, I mean, that's one of the beauties of shipping, right? I mean, in a way, it's a hedge. I mean, disruptions and dislocations of the market tend to generally be good for shipping over periods of time. I mean, you saw it. Wow. I mean, it it's, it's, seems like forever ago, but what happened in Ukraine, and now we'll see what happens here. But generally, in periods of economic uncertainty, well, not economic, but in terms of geopolitical uncertainty, you know, th there's definitely worse things to own than tanker stocks. I agree. I mean, you have the commodity link. Rising inflation or commodity prices are good for shipping, and that's what you're seeing. So makes sense. The market is a pretty efficient discounting mechanism, so I have to humble myself and bow down to its wisdom in this case. Any Okay, is there anything you'd like to ask you? We're going to go to the audience. We got some. We got some time for this. Let's. Anybody like to ask these guys anything? More personal, the better. I think would be fun. <laughs> really wild. <laughs> Any questions? It's Nicholas. Nicholas. Go ahead, Nicholas. Uh, please. So the question was, in their opinion, what is the optimum level of dividend payout? Anybody like to take that? Yeah, as much as you can pay out. I mean, that, I mean investors want to own the, the dividends. And, and if you think about it, what has historically hurt tanker cycles is when, in, is when companies descend, tend to overbuild. There, there's, there's something powerful about not having cash on, on your on cash sitting in your account, even though hey, right now it's earning five percent. But generally, if you think about what ends up ruining this market, is cash being reinvested into any any sector, whether it's shipping or pick another sector. So I think dividends being paid out is as much as you can is probably the recipe for a premium valuation. I agree. I mean, it's a tough question. What's the optimal one? Um, but it's, um, you know, I think like the linking it to some type of loan to value, you know, to balance it out when you have a lower debt level, you can pay out more. Uh, that's probably a, a wise thing, right? Um, I, I've, I'm sort of agnostic, I guess, on the dividends, but I, a preference is the lower, the better, in my opinion. Uh, I feel like, and I've talked about this in the past many times at Capital Inc., and, and that is, you know, a lot of times companies with a high dividend payout, sort of, they, they not only live and die by that dividend, but they make strategic decisions based off of how does it affect our, our payout. And that, a lot of times, becomes very short-term focused, 
and so they'll make strategic decisions that help the dividend stay afloat today, but then they end up having to pay for it in the long term. Um, so preferences, it's nice to have dividends, and companies that pay out big dividends when they can afford it, especially in today's environment, is nice, but I, I don't think the companies are getting valued for it, and the lower the better, the, the higher the company's chances of surviving over the long term and attracting a wider investor audience. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Sakos. Nicholas, uh, just on going back to our example, GSL yielding eight and a half percent. If you're yielding eight and a half percent, raising your dividend any higher is probably not going to do anything for your stock price. I can't tell you the ideal level in which, but uh, a div and this is a dividend payable through the cycle. It's not something that they're stretching to do. But if you're yielding in that type of level, I would much prefer you to go look at other areas of reducing your balance sheet, probably with buybacks based on the NAV of your fleet. But um, the other alternative is pay a healthy yield through the cycle and then look from time to time to do that uh, variable. So an aside, the variable dividend payout is becoming much more accepted in the industry now. And people are getting used to saying, okay, um, with this excess cash and a seasonally strong free cash flow period, we would expect a little extra here, understanding that there's a base dividend that can be paid even during the down cycle. Yeah. So lastly, Nicholas, that's a really tough question. I think there's wisdom in having a lower fixed amount of dividend and layering on top of that special or variable dividends, depending on where you're at in the cycle. And we spent a lot of time today in various panels talking about the real in reinvestment risks that are out there in terms of uh, future fuel technologies, et cetera. And so owners have to be looking ahead as well to have a little bit more cash in reserve when this transition comes eventually. Um, so I think a balanced approach is necessary here. And I don't think this particular cycle is going to be like any other, um, given the macro backdrop of the energy transition going on. Well, just as point of interest, I mean, Shipping cyclical, why didn't we think this applies to the airplane industry or the rail industry or the refining industry or all those other cyclical businesses? Why do they not pay everything out they can? Why do you think it's special to shipping? On the dividend side? Yeah. Well, I think the world has uh, changed for the shipping industry. They're not levered up over-levered. They have flexibility to allocate capital when in the past they were pressed to delever uh, or pressed to issue equity to delever. And I think that during this cycle it has changed. And, and the balance sheet flexibility allows investors to say, okay, what else are you doing? It, but that's not necessarily true, is it? Really it's the song remaining the same because in the 2000s, we saw NAT, Frontline, just paying out as much as they could. Correct, but the past five years ago when leverage was higher and there were lots of questions being brought up saying, are you going to have to, not you particularly, but is this company going to have to issue equity to be able to mm -hmm. delever their balance sheet? That question isn't on the table. But, but why is the industry any different? I mean, the airline industry has been, you know, tragic the, you know, the, the, in times, the cruise line industry, many, the many cyclical industries that have gone into strong times, but they don't, as an industry, resort to high dividend payouts. 
think because the industry during the cyclical peaks were managing for a cyclical bottom. Not saying, okay, things are, uh, cheese are going to the sky, we need to add more assets in anticipation of continued growth. It's, hey, this is an opportunity to get our balance sheets in shape. And, and that's what's happened. And I think another thing that, that is different between shipping and some of the industries we're talking about is, you know, it's, it's a public versus private. And, and in shipping, there's a lot of the industry is, is in the hands of private ship owners. And so I think a lot of ship owners out there, when they debate whether it makes sense to be public or private, you know, part of the allure of being public is to trade at a premium to their net asset value. Um, and so I think one of the things that some ship owner, some public companies think is the key to trading at that premium, and you mentioned an NAT or a frontline, mm -hmm. is, is that willingness to pay healthy dividends, which over time is trading at a premium NAV. I mean, we're talking about, let's talk about crew tankers. Frontline's trading at a 25 to 30% premium NAV. Maybe some people here would say it's 20, but it's a nice premium to NAV. I don't think they're trading at that premium um, because they're not paying dividends, where a lot of the other crude tanker names that are trading at a discount, like a Uranev, I think that there's been less clarity in how they're, you know, over <coughs> periods of time, how they're paying dividends. So if we continue like this as an industry, we'll be destined to continue to have small market cap companies that just repeat, right? Market gets strong, pay everything out, market crashes, don't have any money. Well, I mean, I think what I would say is buybacks also matter because as you get bigger, you're able to do that, right? And, and it's funny because, you know, I used to talk to other, I guess I'm getting old because I used to talk to a lot of other analysts that used to be on these panels. And what you needed for shipping to be was a bunch of multi-billion dollar companies in shipping. And we have that mm. right now. So you have a Frontline, you have a Scorpio, you have a DHT, you have the LPG companies. So you are now having companies that are comfortably above a billion dollars. And so, yeah. I, I, no, I don't think we're destined. I think once you're a certain size and you don't have one major shareholder, you can buy back a bunch of stock, and that's sharehold shareholder returns, or, or returning cash to shareholders and dividends or buybacks is, is kind of the same thing. You just can't always do that if you don't have liquidity. When it comes to age of the analysts, if you notice that we selected the older ones, except for Chris, who was forced to grow a beard to look old, <laughs> right? So don't worry about that. Any other questions? We all good? Yeah? Great. Everybody, thank you very much. Enjoy lunch. <laughs>